Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk about the best thing to ever happen to people that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. That's because sometimes the things that will have a major influence on someone's life will never show up on a resume, in a conversation, or on the internet. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I met a few years back on the speaker circuit, and I was immediately blown away by her, her message, and her overall good vibes. Jess Ekstrom is an entrepreneur, author, and as mentioned, a phenomenal speaker. She's the founder of Headbands of Hope that helps hundreds of thousands of kids with cancer around the world. She speaks about creating meaning in your work and navigating the future with purpose. And she's the author of the stellar book, Chasing the Bright Side, which is receiving amazing reviews and praise. Now, all that's cool, but even more fascinating, this woman, Jess Ekstrom, lives in an Airstream trailer with her husband and her dog, where they travel all across North America. How about that? Jess Ekstrom, welcome to the best day. Thank you for having me. Man, that was an intro. That was a dope intro, right? That was a dope intro. I, I'm going to use that again. <laughs> I wanted to get it special just for you, but let's get straight into it. Jess, what is the best thing to ever happen to you that does not include what society considers best? You know, getting married, having kids, buying a home, mm-hmm. getting a college degree, all those things that society say are the best. What's a, one of those things for you that may be a little unique? So I've been thinking about this and the best thing that ever happened to me didn't feel like the best thing in the moment. But when I can trace it back, I realized that that was one of the biggest turning points of my life. And it was when I was in college, went to North Carolina State and did the Disney College program, which I know you are an alumni of as well. Where did you work again in Disney? Epcot at Honey. I shrunk the audience. I put pivotal... (laughs) A pivotal, transformative experience in my life. Yes, amazing. We share that I was in Magic Kingdom. I was a photo pass photographer. And one of the things that I got to do was I got to photograph kids that were there on their wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I just fell in love with this organization that I could just be a small part of their day and their memories. It was the just the coolest thing for me. So when I got back to school, I interned at Make-A-Wish. And there was one girl and, uh, and just, was, just, just, yeah. just for the listeners, if they don't know what Make-A-Wish Foundation is, what is it? Oh, yeah. So Make-A-Wish is an organization that grants wishes to kids with life-threatening illnesses. So going to Disney World was the most popular wish among Make-A-Wish kids. And so when I was interning at Make-A-Wish in Charlotte, um, I got to be involved in, in some of the wishes. I was doing a lot of behind the scenes work, but towards the end of my internship, they really allowed me to be a part of a full wish and assigned me a wish child and her family. And it w- felt like the first real responsibility that I had when I was there. And this girl, Renee, she was adorable. Uh, she was four years old. She had a brain tumor and she wanted to go to Disney World, but specifically to meet Sleeping Beauty. She was like very 
set on the sleeping beauty part that was like redlined in the contract. So when I was with her family, I planned this going away party with her and all of her friends. I worked with the parks to make sure that sleeping beauty was going to be there at all of their meals. And it was really coming together. It was a week before she was supposed to go to Florida and she had this, you know, routine doctor's visit before she went and they had done some scans and she was in this new um, treatment group and they thought that everything had been working. They thought they had been seeing progress. And in this appointment, they realized that it hadn't and that her tumor was actually growing. She had started to reject the treatments that they had been trying And they told her that she was too sick to go on her wish because in her condition, she couldn't fly and they couldn't drive that long of hours to go to Disney World. And they'd sent her home to focus on the quality of life that she had left. And I remember being in the office that day and just watching all of this unfold and just thinking, you know, this can't be the story. This can't be what happens. This can't be what we all walk away with and remember this by because one of the things that this experience taught me was that our experiences are these tangible events that sometimes we can't control. You know, we can't control what the weather's going to be. We can't control if our flight gets in on time, but our stories are the meaning that we give to it. So I knew that this was an experience that maybe I couldn't control, but maybe I could write a different story. So I went onto Google and uh, looked up local costume shops uh, in Charlotte, found a Sleeping Beauty costume. They graciously donated it to me when I told them the situation. And then arrived on her doorstep dressed as Sleeping Beauty and tried to make her wish come true that day. And uh, I remember being in the living room and um, all of her family, you know, so excited Sleeping Beauty's here and her eyes just lit up and brought her this matching Sleeping Beauty dress and this crown and spent the whole day with her in character. And she totally bought it. And it was, um, I, it was w- one of the clearest before and after moments of my life, you know, before that, I felt like I was so sure of all the things that I wanted. And after that, I realized that uh, I wanted to do more. Because I think sometimes these harder experiences that we have when we're trying to create change, give us a choice. It's the excuse to do less or the reason to do more. And so although in the moment, it didn't feel like the best thing, I realized that it was my moment where I decided to do more. And that was create Headbands of Hope, which has now helped half a million kids with cancer. We're going to dig into to Headbands of Hope here in a bit. And what a, what a powerful story. For you, at that young age, you were a college student, you, you know, your yeah. early 20s, I, I guess. And for you, what the juxtaposition of you soon to graduate from university, branch off into your life and your career, what you thought was going to happen and then that being kind of juxtaposed with this four-year-old whose life mm-hmm. has barely begun, um, obviously that tugs at, at one's heart. But also, I hear something in your voice also that was, I'm still going to make this moment powerful. Yes, this is sad. Yes, this is, it, mm-hmm. it's not going to end the way we would like it to. Yet there's something that we can do. And it makes me think about what you said, this can't be the story. So in a way, are you saying, let's rewrite what this kid's story can be, no matter how short or how long their life is? 
Exactly. It, I feel we can't control our experiences, but we can always write our stories, whether that means for someone else or for ourselves. Um, you know, sometimes I think we get in our head that we are this almost um, victims of our surroundings. We can't control what happens to us. So, you know, we point fingers, we blame, oh, I'm not where I should be because of this boss that I had or because, you know, I'm still paying off student loans and things like that. All of that is valid, but our stories are what we choose to write from it. So uh, one of the analogies I love to use is that boiling water can harden a potato, but soften an egg. So it's not as much about the circumstance as it is about the subject. So we don't have to kind of flail around whimsically of what happens to us. We can choose to take control. And that's what this best thing, this moment really taught me is to take life into our own hands. And it makes me think about that that moment we have every single morning when we wake up, no matter what transpired the day before, the week before, the month before. If we're not happy with what's happening, whether with our health, with our body, with our career, our life, what a powerful moment every single day to recommit to saying this can't be the story and, mm -hmm. and start to write, start to take actions to create the story that we actually want. Let, let me ask you this, because. I've known you for you know quite a few years now, and I know this about you, but there's something unique about you. And when you start an organization like Headbands of Hope that, that helps young kids fighting cancer, sometimes terminal cancer, what I've learned about you is you're very selfless. In a world that seems so selfish, so focused on me, 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 I, 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 what I consistently hear from you, what I see in your social media posts is the word we, is the word us. Where did this this, this selfless nature that you have come about in becoming a, a giver to others? That's interesting that uh, you see that. And I think that when it comes to, I don't consider myself as maybe selfless as you see me. I think that I have values and purpose, but one of the things that I really... Um, has become a value of mine is finding that overlap between making a living and making a difference. I, you know, am a huge advocate for people finding that like joint, that collision point between impact and income. And so um, I like the work that I do to have meaning behind it, but I also believe that that can be a business. But I think where that came from, it's kind of interesting. Like, I think that when I was growing up, my parents never really were people to um, lecture us on giving back or um, being selfless. They did that by example. And I think in 2008, um, when the economy was crashing and things weren't good, uh, my family ended up losing everything. And when I say everything, I mean financially. We still um, you know, had each other. We had uh, my dad still had his business that he was working on, but we got in the financial situation that really, I was a senior in high school and it made me rethink the American dream. Um, and I think that it made a lot of people rethink the American dream, which is now why we have, I think so many, um, socially conscious companies popping up, I think, which is why so many people are putting purpose over profit. But for me, I knew that I wanted to do something with my life where I could look back and it not just be about the money, like not just be about what I have in my retirement, what I have saved. I wanted the time and effort to add up to something greater because I saw what it was like to do everything right and then um, 
have nothing to show for it. Now, I don't think that my parents had nothing to show for it. They were extremely resilient. But I think that um, that moment where you lose something really adjusts your focus to what matters. You said something that really is staying on my mind as you were speaking, and that's rethinking the American dream. And Mm -hmm. so many and let's, for those folks listening all across the globe, when we talk about the American dream, kind of just believing that, you know, that whatever we want, we can create. The opportunity is there. If we're willing to do the work, we're willing to be disciplined and accountable to make these things happen. When you said, I started to rethink the American dream, I know just there are a lot of people when they're struck with, with tragedy, challenging times, holy moly, imagine a family losing everything. Some people can shift not to where you went. They could shift to to pessimism. Mm-hmm. They could shift to disgust. They could shift to anger. So many different emotions, but not optimism. And and of course, you wrote a book called Chasing the Bright Side. What has allowed you in the in that in the midst of not just rethinking that American dream when you were in high school, but throughout your life to shift to optimism in the face of adversity, as mm-hmm. opposed to going to the depths of pessimism. I think, you know, I'm thinking about when thinking about optimism, it was the single thread in my life that I feel like I could point to for the things that eventually turned out right. Optimism wasn't this um, be happy all the time or this positivity pledge. It was the channel in which I was resilient. It was the channel in which I was socially innovative. And I think that optimism is choosing to believe in better. And so when we believe in better, that's the first step to creating it. But if we're struck with some external circumstances, such as my family losing their money in 2008, which so many people can relate to, that first step is believing in better. What can I do? And it's funny, when I was, uh, when that happened, I, um, one of the things I loved to do was I loved clothes. Uh, I loved shopping and I didn't use my parents' money or anything. It was, um, you know, I would go to thrift shops or things like that. But when I didn't, you know, um, when we didn't have that much money, and I really had to be careful about what I was spending, I found this website called Swap Style. And it was this, uh, now looking back, it was just so funny. It was like you took pictures of things that were in your closet. And then you could like swap with different people around the world. Like, oh, I have this, you know, jumper, but I like that bag. Let's trade. And so you weren't, really spending any money other than, you know, the couple dollars for the shipping cost. But it was a way that I could still do this thing that that I loved, that was a hobby, um, despite the circumstance. And then I also got really into eBay. <laughs> I got a white sheet from my mom's linen closet, and they had a digital camera, and I would take pictures of all these things that we owned in our house, um, and sell it on eBay and start making Wait, some money. <laughs> did your did your parents did your parents know you were selling their belongings? The operation got shut down when I started selling my sister's stuff. I think I sold one of my dad's briefcases, and um, and then I had to find a different business idea. I think that it was um, this belief in better of yes, this is a circumstance, but it doesn't have to be my future. And we are given that choice with every pivot point in our life. I I said this earlier, but the excuse to do less or the reason to do more. And optimism is that reason to do more. It's saying yes, it's moving to the next room. It's not one thing that optimism is not that I talk about in Chasing the Bright Side. It's not, you know, oh, meditate at red lights or drink more water or just be happy. Um, You can say something sucks, you know, that that you can say something's 
awful experience sit in those emotions. But at the end of the day, what are those emotions triggering? Are they triggering you to hide or are they triggering you to do something because of it? So optimism is doing something because of it. Wow. All powerful lessons. And I, I just have to push pause here for a moment and just acknowledge your parents. So tell me, tell me the name of your, your mom and dad again. Lori and Rich. And they are a hoot. They, after, you know, all of this happened, um, you know, talking about this one single experience that can write so many different stories. They uh, started a company together 10 years ago. And then um, after all of this, my dad still found a way to send me and my sister to college. And then uh, eventually they sold their company, sold their house, sold all their belongings, and they've been living in an RV for five years now. And they just became volunteer park rangers. So they are creating their own American dream for sure. Actually, could we stop this interview right now so I could call your mom and dad? I, I want, I want, I want Lori and Rich Ekstrom on the podcast. But seriously, on, on a note though, and I ask this question now selfishly as a father of a you know you know twin mm-hmm. toddlers. This belief in better that is inside of you um, is that something? Do you feel like was instilled in you from a young age, from your parents, even prior to what you experienced in high school and your family losing everything? I'm guessing this was a muscle that just didn't, sh- or or did it, did it just show up in you, or no? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, Antonio, growing up in the Ekstrom household, we we were instilled with this belief of better. I think it was the difference between reacting and responding to something. You know, when we react, we can let these negative emotions kind of overtake us. We can get mad. We can, um, you know, really retreat and, and retract ourselves um, from a situation. But when we respond, we're looking for that depth and that understanding of the situation. So for example, in high school, I was, I was, I'm not a good test taker. I bombed the SATs. Not good at it. And I failed like straight out F, um, not just an expression, a biology test. And I, it was really my parents, they didn't get mad. They didn't say, oh, you're grounded. They're like, how should we respond to this? And the response that we came up with together through their parenting and guidance was, let me ask the teacher for a little extra help. And so I went to the teacher, Mr. Coggins, want to give him credit because he um, had met with me every day after school for weeks up until the next test and gave me a little extra guidance. And on that next test, I got like a 93 or something, which was the best, uh, you know, that the grade that I had in any of my classes. And um, it was the response of understanding the situation and what can we do to make this better? Not like whose fault is it? How can we get upset pointing externally, but looking internally? And I think that they did that not by lecturing, not by getting mad when I failed, but by honing a response to our world and not reacting to it. I hear you say that. And what jumps out, you you know, you have the question, how should we respond? And earlier you said, this can't be the story, mm-hmm. right? It's accepting something at face value or the, the status quo. It's obvious, again, from previous conversations that you and I have had, but also through just our interview so far, one thing that you have, and it sounds like your parents provided you with this to a certain extent, is great creative thinking skills and great problem-solving skills. And as you know, as an employer who employs people, when you look at the research and the data, they say 
now two of the main things folks don't have nowadays when they enter the workforce are creative thinking skills and problem solving skills. And it sounds like you're that person that doesn't accept the status quo things at face value. <laughs> I know the answer, but is that fair to say? I think it is fair to say. And it's funny, something that bubbles up when you say that was this family camping trip that we're on. If you haven't been able to tell already by my parents living in an RV, we live in an Airstream, we would go camping as kids. And uh, it was like during my, you know, preteen years where I thought I was too cool for camping. And so I had this um, Walkman and I'm dating myself saying that I had a Walkman to listen to music. Um, And these headphones that I had kept getting tangled. And I said to my dad, I was like, you know, headphone cords should just roll up like a slinky so they don't have to get tangled anymore. And then I was like, I'm just going to invent that. And I remember he sat me down and he told me, he was like, Jess, that's already been invented, but I want you to keep thinking that way. And it was like this moment in my childhood where I feel like um, I became a problem solver. It was, um, I could look at the world through a lens that I could fix it. And it wasn't like all these things that I would see around me were now someone else's problem. It was mine. And one of the things that I, I like to say in my talk is just because something is not your job doesn't mean it can't be your responsibility. So when we look at the world around us, whether that's a system in our, in our work, whether that's something in our community, whether that's you know trash on the ground, um, just because something isn't our job doesn't mean it can't be our responsibility to change it. And that's really where optimism is at its core. And that started... Um, for me as a kid, just having those random business ideas that my dad pushed me to, to move towards. Shout out Rich Ekstrom. And it's right? so funny I'm <laughs> over here because I just had a flashback to actually hearing you say just because it's not your responsibility, just because it's not your job doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, I have said that so many times as if I'm the first person to ever say it. <laughs> and now I'll give, you, I'll remember, give that to you. Yeah. I, but no, I can remember the exact moment when I heard you say it on stage. We were in Indianapolis mm-hmm. and I just love that I have hijacked it. And now I use it as if it's <laughs> but, but I'll, I'll start giving some. Spread the word. Yeah. Some, some, some attribute. Yeah. You're talking about somebody's spilled some coffee or creamer was out or something like that. Mm-hmm. What a, it's a great story. Okay. Sorry to bore folks with those details. Um, let's dig in here real fast. Um, you mentioned earlier that you believe there can be a hybrid approach uh, of making a living and making a difference. And of course that that spawned uh, your amazing company headbands of hope. I invite all of you to go there and support to learn more, but also to support this amazing cause. Um, of course, entrepreneurship has been the rage in the United States for, for quite some time now. And this may be a naive question to ask, but I'm still going to ask it. Is it fair to say that with your parents losing everything when you were in high school, and of course, with that experience you had with that that four-year-old girl who had uh, the brain tumor, it's fair. To, I know most of your co- your classmates when you were at NC State weren't starting their own companies while they were in college and continuing to do that. Is it fair to say that this company would not exist without those pivotal uh, experiences? I think it's extremely fair to say that. Uh, I think that that's why I love the the message of this podcast so much is because sometimes the best times in our life and the best moments of clarity come from our worst moments. And I think that 
when you when I was thinking about this podcast and what I wanted it to be, of course, there were times where I'm like, oh, you know, when I got my book deal, that was the best thing. Or, oh, when I embarked on this Airstream trip, that was the best thing. But when we think about what the best thing is, it's the things that made us who we are. It's the things that have developed us. It's the things that we think about when we put our head on our pillow at night that make us better. And sometimes those aren't the stories that we're blasting on our LinkedIn or sharing on our Instagram stories. It's the time where we learned what our true priorities are in life and um, developed that purpose. And I think that, you know, being at Make-A-Wish, seeing those kids, I think experiencing that with my family and doing everything right and seeing them... um, I remember my dad telling me when it was happening, he was like, it's like you're about to graduate and then you start over at kindergarten again. Mm-hmm. And hearing him say that, oh my God, like it makes me want to cry right now. But he, to see their resilience in that and how they chose to lean on each other and our family um, really adjusted my focus to what matters. I had these dreams of being a magazine journalist in New York and all the things that I wanted to do. Um, And then it really shifted to, I want to use my time here on this earth and look back and feel like I've left my mark. And I think that that's what echoes in my head all the time, even when things aren't fun, even when something's wrong with my business or a contract falls through, I can always remind myself that I'm leaving my mark no matter what. Absolutely. Leaving your mark. And just to, I don't know why Rich and Lori are on my mind. I can't wait to meet them in person. (laughs) So many people could have experienced what they experienced and so many did. And guess what? Mm. That they didn't stay together. They didn't keep their families intact. They were unable to, to rebound, but it just reminds you of the, the importance of a mindset and commitment and, optimism, which doesn't mean the rainbows are going to come out every single day and there's always going to be flowers, but it's just taking that one step each day. When I hear your story, you know, what really pops out for me, you know, it's something you've probably heard me talk about on stages is that, well, first you said sometimes the best things come from our worst moments. But what I say on stages a lot is, you know, Google doesn't tell the whole story. Mm-mm. It can never tell our our full story. And so a lot of people will see just extra and they, they'll see your book and they'll see you on television doing interviews and they'll see you on stages and they'll just say, oh man, mm-hmm. she's got it made. And they'll, they'll make a lot of assumptions. But I, what I want all of us to remember is that every man and woman that we encounter, there is something about them that we do not know that their resume, that their LinkedIn profile, that Google would never tell us. And just to remember to look at people like humans because we never know what they have experienced and what they have gone through. And and unfortunately, we go through, we have so many assumptions about folks. And so that's what I love about your story because I think, you know, you dig into this in your book, but people will see another side of, uh, I guess, to use a pun, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. (laughs) There's there's always so much more. Um, yeah, I think that went off of that. I just wanted to, I just want to say, you know, I feel like, yes, my mission in my life, a, a lot of it is helping kids with cancer. But I think through this process and kind of stepping into the spotlight, whether that's with, you know, speaker or my social media following something like that, I've felt like it is now, you know, saying just because it's not your job doesn't mean it's your not your responsibility. I feel that it is now my responsibility to tell my full story, to be transparent, because if that was something I needed, 
when I was starting this company and all these things that I was running into. And I was like, why is this only happening to me? Clearly, I'm the only one messing up here because I'm not seeing this happen to anyone else. I want to be that for people. Um, I want to be, I want to show the sitting on a living room floor packing boxes with a you know pint of Ben and Jerry's. I want to show the scrappy beginnings. I want to show the really, I'm not going to curse, but the really bad parts um, of my business that have happened. Because if we can share the real truth, then we can inspire others to be resilient when that happens. Because people won't think of it as an isolated experience. They'll realize that the hiccups, the speed bumps, all the things that happen along the way are just a part of the process. It's not opposite of success. It's just a part of it. So it's in part my, of the process. It's Sorry, part of the process. Ahead. Yeah. And, and so that's what I get so passionate about in my book is sharing those corners that you maybe don't see on an interview with Good Morning America or whatever that might be. Because I want people to know that success is not about the absence of resistance. It's just the navigation of it. And it's something I feel really strongly about, if you can't tell. <laughs> you haven't tweeted that absence of resistance. Uh, it's the navigation. <laughs> well, I, can, I'm gonna, I can count on you to tweet it. You know, you can be my uh, echo over here. <laughs> how funny is it going to be when you see that that quote on Instagram and it's going to have my name underneath it? <laughs> going viral, yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Where was I going to go? Oh, you, when you were talking, one, two things jumped out at me. Uh, one, when you said pint, I was like, where is she going? I'm glad you didn't say pint of whiskey. I'm glad you said pint. <laughs> Whatever of, floats of your boat, you know? Whatever like, gets the packages out. <laughs> like, where is she going to go with this one? Pint of whiskey. But also, I really, I'm trying to figure out what age it was when I realized this. And I, and I wish I'd learned it so, so much earlier. And, and I'm glad you're, you're imparting this wisdom to folks to take this on is that when you realize some of the things that you're most embarrassed about, some of the things that you're most ashamed of are actually the things that make you special. Mm -hmm. The things that give you your superpower, those things that give you your strength, your resilience, your character. Of course, Renee Brown writes a lot about this and I, and I, I'm excited because you're for your book because you reveal so much that people don't know about you that we're not even going to get into fully on the podcast today. But just as we get ready to wind down here, I, I have a question for you that I hope you can answer because you mentioned earlier that it's about the before and, and after the moment. Mm -hmm. It's what happens before and what happens after. And right now, I'm sure there's there's someone listening to this that, that probably is going through a challenging time. And, and there's been the, the before uh, when they've had some type of tragedy, tragedy or adversity mm -hmm. that they faced, et cetera. And they're trying to find the courage. They're trying to find the confidence. They're trying to find a way, the boldness to create the after moment to mm -hmm. chase the bright side, if you will, for that person who's who's in that that that's the same. I don't, I don't say dark place, but they're in a foggy place. They're existing. They're make they're paying the bills. Everything's cool, but they're in that foggy place. What would you invite them to do to to make progress uh, and move forward? Two things. First one is to ask yourself, what would it look like if it all worked out? And that question will start you down that path of believing in better. It's not like, it's not, you know, what would it, what would it look like if I failed? But, you know, what would it look like if I got up, you know, and got back on this? So really training your mind to believe in better. But the second part is one that maybe not a lot of people agree with, but it's what um, I believe is what feels light to you right now. I am so tired of the 
like hustle till you don't have to introduce yourself and I'll sleep when I'm dead and da 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 like keep working. I think that we should be gentle to ourselves. We should give ourselves some grace. And what is a small thing that you can do today? One of the things that happened when I was um, starting Headbands of Hope, I lost a pretty significant amount of money to a fraudulent manufacturer that was actually a loan from my dad. So it was a mess. And I thought about throwing in the towel. But I said to myself, just for today, that was my mantra. What if just for today, I went and saw if I could get a $300 loan from my university? What if just for today, I bought a domain on GoDaddy? And giving ourselves permission to do the small things will then give us the confidence to do the big things because our mind and the way that we work loves execution. So throw it some softballs, do the small things, break the seal. Scrappy beginnings doesn't mean that it's not working. So what would it look like if all worked out and what feels light to you right now? Ooh, I love those two right there. And I love that reminder to do the small things because if you don't know, breakthroughs come in small steps. Breakthroughs come in small steps. Jess, extra mile. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this interview. I am so excited for the listeners not only to read your book, Chasing the Bright Side. I'm excited for them to head on over to Headbands of hope to learn more about the important work you're doing there. If if someone does have a vision of ever being a speaker one day and standing on stages, I want them to learn all about your mic drop workshop. And just the folks right now just can't wait to uh, go to your, your social media or find you. Where would you invite them to go? Come to jessextrum.com. You can, everything is there. You can find me on Instagram at jess underscore extrum. And I just want to thank you for having me too. I know this will probably embarrass you, but I remember one of my first Antonio experiences was when we were both booked to speak at Lander University. And it was my first paid speaking engagement. I'm like over here, this guy's been on TV. He's such a big deal. And we're speaking on the same stage. And I remember I went first and I just know now looking back, I was so all over the place. And I got off stage and you made me feel like I was, you know, the Tony Robbins up there or just someone who nailed it. (laughs) And it really gave me the confidence to go full force into my speaking career. So you've been a big part of that. So thank you. Wow. Thank you for that flashback. I still remember you saying, hey, could you hit record on my <laughs> On camp- this like 1995 tripod camera. I'm like, I need to get a speaker reel. <laughs> wow. I totally forgot about that. Thank you for the reminder. I'm, I'm yeah. rooting for you. I'm in your corner. Uh, I appreciate you. Your work has and will continue to affect the, the masses. So again, thanks again for sharing the best thing. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.